As we'll read in a second, he spent everything. He was recklessly extravagant with what he was given. Uh, But I believe that the story would be better titled The Prodigal Father. A prodigal father and two lost sons. Because the message is this, everything you've ever heard, everything you've ever thought about how to approach God is wrong. Because the story represents two different paradigms, two different types of people, two different ways that humans typically try and pursue happiness, two different ways that they think they become happy, two different ways that they respond to God Two different ways of how people try and convince other people they ought to live. The older brother, the younger brother. And we often think about stereotypes between older brothers and younger brothers. And sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. But uh, I think often they can be true. I I come from a family of three boys and I can talk about stereotypes all I want because I'm in the middle. So there you go. Uh, But my younger brother had it bad. My younger brother had two older brothers who picked on him relentlessly. I mean, I kind of feel bad now, but, uh, you know, the stereotypes are typically the younger brother grows up being a bit of a rebel and the older brother is a rule follower. My younger brother, we used to pick on all the time. I remember, uh, you know, this one time, you know, back in the day we wore, as, as boys, uh, we wore tidy whities you know, it's Father's Day, so we can talk about underwear on Father's Day, right? So, um, who wears tidy whities? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, <laughs> so, so me and my older brother, we pinned my younger brother to the ground. We grabbed those tidy whities right by their leg holes, and we, we pulled them up so far that we could get his arms through them, and he, he wore them like, like a tank top, those... It had a kind of a low cut line. Um, But those are the types of things that we would do to my younger brother. And I don't think, well, maybe that's abnormal, but I, I, you know, I think younger brothers often get picked on. Younger brothers often feel like they're in the shadow of their older brothers. And so they grow up trying to differentiate themselves, which often means they grew up being a bit rebellious. Whereas older brothers uh, often are rule followers. They try and keep order in the house. Uh, my older brother is, he's such a, how do I say this? My older brother, probably 7 a.m. this morning, phoned my dad and wished him a happy Father's Day. I haven't yet phoned my dad. But that's my older brother. Mama's boy, daddy's boy, connects with them on all the important dates, doesn't do anything wrong. Stereotypes of older siblings. I got three boys myself. I won't give too much commentary on them. Uh, But if you've seen my hashtag, Silas Says, you know that the stereotypes are probably pretty similar. I mean, even yesterday, we were at the, you know, the soccer game was rained out. We were in the north of the city, so we stopped at a mall on the way home. And Silas, my youngest son, was just freaking out because he wanted candy. And we wouldn't uh, let him have candy. And he was just you know, trying to weasel his way into getting a way to get as much sugar into his body as he possibly could. And, uh, and he just wouldn't let it go. And so we end up you know, leaving the mall, we get in the van and we're going home and uh, 
and my older son, Joel, I don't know, we, we started talking about church stuff. Um, and, and so my older son, Joel, is asking, you know, mature older son type questions. Uh, you know, to tell me about church. Tell me, he started asking questions about church planting. He says, Dad, is it hard to plant a church? Why is it hard to plant a church? And uh, so we start talking about, you know, well, it, it's tough because when you plant a church, you don't, have a lot, you don't have people that you're gathering with when you plant it. And often people with families don't want to come to church plants because there isn't kids programs or youth programs. And kids typically want to be where other kids are. And parents usually want to be uh, in a place where their kids want to be. And all of a sudden, this cranky voice from the backseat pipes up and said, Really? Because I wanted to be in the candy store, and my parents did not want to be there. <laughs> so older son, younger son, stereotypes. And so in the prodigal son, we got two acts. If we were to think of a play, think of it in, in two primary acts. And this is the first act in, in Luke 15, verse 11. Let me read it for you. It says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. where, And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. That is Act 1. And it's often what people think of when they think of the prodigal son story, this lost son, the son that demanded his inheritance now. And if you're familiar with uh, that first century Eastern culture, you know that to demand your inheritance at immediately was pretty much to say, Dad, it doesn't matter to me if you're dead or alive. Whether you're living or dead is not really important to me. I just want what's coming. I just want stuff. I just want money. I just want wealth. And, in, and also in that time, land and inheritance, that was... Uh, for man, that was reputation. That was his legacy. And so even the very Greek word itself, when it says the man divided his wealth between them, or some translations say the man divided his property between them, the actual word there is the word bios. And we talked about this word last week. You guys remember that word? Bios means life, breathing. 
So the text literally says that the, the father divided his life between his two sons. A father giving his life for his sons. This is the picture of God, the father, that we see in the story of the prodigal son. And when the father chose to do that, you know, the older son historically gets more of the share of the inheritance. And in this situation, the older son would have got two-thirds of the inheritance. So he gives one-third to the younger son, and he gives two-thirds to the older son. So the younger son takes his wealth, he takes what his father gave him, and he goes and he wastes it. He takes the gifts of the father and he wastes it. And he spends it, the text says, on wild living. And Jesus would, would later give commentary to that and uh, through the older brother saying that the younger son spent it on, on prostitutes and, and all of that stuff. So you can imagine the type of life that this younger son was living. And so he takes the gifts of the father and he wastes them. Famine hits the land and he has nothing. He's a farmer. He's working with pigs and he's looking at what the pigs are getting for food and he's longing to fill his stomach with what the pigs are eating. And he thinks to himself, even the servants, even the slaves back at my father's house, in my father's land, eat better than I'm eating here. So I'll go home. And he prepares this speech. The speech where he, he, he decides that he's not worthy to be called a son of the father. He doesn't even request to be a slave because a slave lives and eats on the property with the family. He requests to be a hired hand. See, a hired hand lived in town and had a wage. And so what he's saying is, I want to pay back my father for what he gave me. I'm going to pay him back. I'm going to work and make money, pay him back. And so he starts to come home, speech prepared, and the father sees him from a long ways off, and he shows complete emotional Abandon. He starts running towards the son. And in this culture, running towards your son was not something the fathers did. They never ran. They never ran. Kind of like my kid's dad. He never runs. Lazy. Uh, he runs with complete abandon. And the son tries to give his dad the speech that he's prepared of all the reasons that you know, the father should be convinced to take him back and, and let him work and pay off his debt. And the father stops him and the text uses the word but. The son starts the speech and, the, and then it says, but the father starts organizing this party, embraces him, kisses him, gets the family ring. And this ring was, uh, was a symbolic of being part of the family, being a son, a daughter of the family. This, and, and, and the son trying to earn his way back, the father's basically saying, you don't have to earn your way back. I'm actually going to bring you back. I'm bringing you back. And we notice that the father doesn't kiss the son, doesn't embrace the son because he repents. The son is able to repent because he's embraced. It's the power of the gospel. For us who can relate to the younger son, it is the kindness of God, the Father, that leads us to repentance. We don't repent 
because we're trying to convince the Father to love us, but we repent because the Father does love us, and the love of the Father melts our hearts. So the Father goes, he grabs him, he lifts him up, he kisses him, and he hugs him. Powerful, beautiful illustration of the prodigal love of God to his son. Here's a modern retelling of Act One. since we talked, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, you know, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon, and I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
that is the beautiful, powerful truth of the gospel. Uh, for those of us, and the Bible says all of us, who have turned our backs on God, taken the gifts of God, and wasted them on sinful, rebellious, living hearts that are turned away from the Father, that were only interested in the Father's stuff, but not in the Father himself. That is, this first act just encapsulates the prodigal love, grace, and goodness of God. And if that's you, then you need to know this morning that as soon as you turn, and, and, and this is what the Bible means by the word repent, as soon as you turn away from your rebellious direction and turn towards the Father that he's waiting there, arms open wide, ready to run towards you, embrace you, kiss you, and welcome you back into the family, that is the gospel and the good news that Jesus brought And maybe for many of you, or one of you, you've never turned and ran towards the Father in that way. And this morning is an opportunity for you to say, I want to run towards God the Father. But here's the thing. When this story was told, when Jesus told the story 2,000 years ago, it was not met, meant with, with people weeping and breaking down, repenting, and torn, turning towards Jesus. It was actually meant, met with anger. Because if you remember back to the beginning of the story, and we're going to look at Act 2 now. The story began in verse 11, to illustrate the point further. So what, what was being referred to when he said, to illustrate this point further? Well, if you go back to the beginning of the story... What's the context that Jesus tells the story? It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Translation, younger brothers were around Jesus all the time. Rebellious people that the religious folks had written off somehow were attracted to the person of Jesus and came running towards him, and he always met them with an open embrace. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The context of Luke 15 is the anger, the frustration of religious leaders, religious teachers. And so Jesus responds to these teachers by telling them a series of stories. First, he tells a story of a lost sheep, you know, a shepherd who leaves the 99 to search for the lost one. And then he tells a story of a lost coin where this woman turns her whole house upside down to find this lost coin. And both of these stories end with a party. Both of them end with the person rejoicing that what was lost is found. And then thirdly, he gets to the story of the lost son. And the son was lost and the son comes back. You see, the first two stories, the first one, there's something lost outside, out in the wilderness, and Jesus goes and chases it down, pursues the one that was lost. The second one, something is lost inside, and the third story, we have, we have something that is lost outside and inside. And the radical piece that Jesus was getting at is actually found in Acts 2 of the story, not Acts 1. 
Acts, or the act two of the story. And, and this is where it starts, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Older son's working. This is what older sons do, don't they? Or they should do. Working, trying to please the parents. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. I never once refused. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. So key, a few key phrases here in the story. He was in the fields working. I mentioned that. This is what stereotypical older kids do. They work hard for their parents. They're getting their parents' approval. They're being good kids. Verse 28, his father came out. And so we noticed that there was three stories of lostness. In every single story, there was someone that went searching for the one that was lost. And in the third story, not only does the father run towards the younger son, but we, hear, we see in the story that the father comes out towards the older son because the older son is equally lost. Verse 29, I've slaved for you. Dad, don't you know that I've worked like a slave for you? He did everything he was supposed to do. He did everything he was asked to do. In fact, the the word there, after it says, I worked like a slave for you, I obeyed all of your commands, is what the Greek says there. I did every command you told me to do. Remember who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to religious leaders, Pharisees, who did all of the commands, who did all the things they were supposed to do. They slave for God. But when we talk about repentance, when we talk about returning towards God, What this passage is challenging us is that we don't just need to repent of the bad things we do. We actually have to repent of the reasons we did anything good to begin with. You know, this this past week, you know, we're doing the baby bottle thing at at the house. And uh, we found out uh, that our youngest son, Silas, put $13 of his own money into the baby bottle. That takes 13 weeks of allowance for Silas. (laughs) And he did it on his own. And uh, and so his his mom, when they were out, his mom and my wife, um, when they were out, they were at the soccer store, and there's this you know soccer backpack that our kids have been wanting, and, and Lisa decided to buy Silas this bag. Uh, because nobody told him to do anything. He just, out of the generosity of his heart, he wanted to give his own money, which he loves to spend on candy, but chose instead of candy to put it in the baby bottle. And so because of, he did that out of the generosity of his heart, not because anybody told him to. And so Lisa bought him this backpack and he gets, he gets home to the house and he's wearing his backpack and the, his brothers are frustrated you know, Cy got the backpack that we all wanted. 
And then so Lisa explained to the other kids, this is why Sai's got the backpack, because he put his own money in the baby bottle. And I could see Joel's, my oldest son's, his wheels starting to turn. So Sai so put $13 in the baby bottle, and you bought him a $25 backpack for soccer. He's like, so then he's like, so if I put $13 in the, you know, and Lisa caught it right away, and she says, no. Because it's not the fact that Silas put the money in. It's, it's the heart behind why Silas did what he did. And that's why I rewarded him. And older sons try to make a formula out of their obedience to try and get their parents to do what they want them to do. The religious leaders, the teachers, the people that are like older sons, you know, they're not lost because of all the bad things they're doing. They're lost because they've convinced themselves that behaving and living, following all the commandments, slaving for God will somehow put God on the hook to respond back to us in a certain way. You see, this older son's so angry at his younger brother, he refers to the younger brother as the son of yours. He doesn't call him by name. He doesn't say my brother. He just said, this son of yours. Doesn't even want to associate with him. He's so angry. And the father responds by saying, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And this is the truth. This is the literal truth. Everything the father owns at this point in time has been inherited to his older son. Do you guys remember? When he divided up the inheritance, one-third went to the younger son, two-thirds went to the older son. And here at this point in the story, the father says, everything I have is yours. Everything that now exists with the father is the older son's inheritance. All the older brother can see is his stuff getting given away. You know, people didn't eat eat meat at a meal in this time. It was too expensive. And here, the father puts out the the fattened calf, the most expensive meal, this once-in-a-lifetime type of party, which is what it was. And you get this impression that the entire village is invited to this party. And whose fattened calf is it? It's the older son's calf. You see, forgiveness was free for the younger brother, but forgiveness was not free for the older son. Forgiveness of the younger brother was not free for the older son. His forgiveness was costly for the older brother. It is only at the elder brother's expense that the younger brother can be brought back into the family. This was the greatest day in the father's life. It was seen in the extravagance of the, far, the party. Not the farty. In the party. The older brother doesn't care. All he sees is the father using his inheritance in a way that he doesn't approve of. He doesn't care about the father. He cares about the father's stuff. This is the offensive reality of what Jesus says to those elder brothers that were gathering around him being angry about the type of of company that Jesus was keeping because they had been working hard. They had been following the commandments of God and they actually didn't care anything about God. They just wanted the blessings of God. And so when they saw other people getting the blessings of God that they deserved, it made them angry and it made them bitter. 
And so we see these two realities, the younger son, the older son. The younger son lives a self-indulgent, dissolute life. He tries to get the father's things by being bad, actually. He, he rebels and he just wants to steal and take. He tries to get control of life by disobeying. He goes out to find himself. Ever hear anything like that? He's going out to find himself, wild living. He breaks the rules and he believes that the way to true health, happiness is self-discovery. These are characteristics of the younger brother. Then we have the older brother. He lives this obedient life. He tries to get the father's things by being good. He equally doesn't care about the father. He tries to get control of life by obeying, by being a slave. He keeps all the rules, and he believes that the way to true happiness is moral conformity. But Jesus, in telling this parable, says that both of these approaches to happiness do not work. If you take the journey of self-discovery like the younger son or you take the journey of moral conformity like the older son, you will find yourself lost. You can find yourself lost in your badness, but you can also find yourself lost in your goodness. And both of these sons are in need of the prodigal, reckless love of God. And so when we look at these sons together, we can see that they have a lot of similarities between the two of them. They're both lost. They both want control. They're both alienated from the father. They both want the father's things and not the father himself. Neither of them actually love the father. They're actually trying to pursue happiness, both of them. They're just taking different roads than how they think they ought to get there. The father has to initiate the relationship and go to both of them. The father has to invite him into the feast, invite both sons into the feast. And both of these sons are loved unconditionally by the father. See, the gospel is not morality versus immorality, religion versus irreligion. The gospel is getting wrecked by the reckless love of God. Jesus did not come to save us to be better, to behave like a slave. He actually came to save us so that we would gain his inheritance as sons and daughters of God because we're in relationship with the Father, not because we want the Father's stuff. Both of the younger son and the older son actually just wanted God to be their little genie. They wanted the father to do what they wanted. And the irony of the Luke 15 story is that both are equally lost, but the older son is in more danger. And that's when we get to act three of the story. It's unwritten. That's why the story kind of ends there abruptly. Jesus leaves the story open-ended because in many ways he wants to, us to write how the story concludes. The older son is in greater danger than the younger son because the younger son knows exactly what's going on. The younger son knows that he's rebelled. The, under, the younger son is living in the reality of the consequences of a sin and the choices that he's made. And there's some of you who identify with the younger son and you know exactly the distance that you are from the father. But the older son suffers from self-deception. He believes he's much closer to the father than he actually is. 
and he's lost in his own goodness. He's lost in his own self-righteousness. And the only thing that can save him from that lostness is an encounter with the reckless love of God that breaks down all of these preconceived notions of, and formulas of how God responds to appropriate moral behavior. I'm going to invite the band on the stage. I love it that all three of these stories end with a party. You know, at SunWest, we want a party. Can I get an amen to that? We want a party. And the reasons we want to party are for the exact same reasons that Jesus threw parties all the time, because the dead come to life, the lost are found, people are encountering this prodigal, reckless, extravagant, spend-everything kind of love of God that was revealed to us in Jesus. What is the biggest barrier to us experiencing the party that God has for us? It's elder brothers who don't want to share their inheritance. If we want to feast with the fattened calf, we got to be willing to let our fattened calf get butchered. We got to be willing to let go of preferences. We got to be willing to let younger sons into our midst, into our small groups. We got to be willing to share resources and, and finances. And when I think and I dream about what God has for us next, my question is do those of us who often tend to identify as with the older brother, which admittedly, I confess to you as me. I don't have a younger brother type of testimony. I have a very much an older brother testimony. But when you're an older brother, you try and control, you get competitive, you're paying attention to what's mine and what's theirs, what's my rights, what's their rights. And then we encounter this reckless, extravagant love of God shown in Jesus where he gives up all of his rights. You see, Jesus is the true older brother who was, given every, who was given everything by the Father, who didn't hold on to it, who didn't hoard it, but he came freely to earth to give it all away so that other people, you and I, could be called sons and daughters of God and be brought back into the family. Jesus is the true older brother. And when I dream about the types of parties and the type of church that we're going to be, it's people that take Jesus' cue and we just give away what God has given us. We give away inheritance because we want people that are lost to be found and people that are dead to come to life because we've experienced the reckless, extravagant love of God the Father. I'm going to invite you to stand. So God, we thank you that you are this prodigal God, this prodigal father who is just completely reckless. That you just give away inheritance. Jesus, we thank you that you took this father heart of God, that you came to earth, that you were like this older brother that, that said, I am willing to give everything of myself in order to have these siblings come back into the fold of the family of God. And we just say thank you. And Lord, I pray for those younger brothers in the audience today who have rebelled, who have made destructive choices and have turned away from you and now are living in the consequence of those decisions. Lord, I pray that they would sense your father heart towards them. Not one 
of judgment, that's the heart of the older brother in the story, not the heart of the father. And so we just pause and recognize your heart as a father towards them as one of full embrace, of kissing them even before they can give you their excuses, write you their speech. They can't earn back what they took, but you just give it back to them freely. Lord, we pray that would turn your hearts towards you. We pray for the older brothers here that they've done everything right. They, they try and live right. They go to church. They go to small group. They read their Bible. They pray. They, they're doing everything they feel like they're supposed to do, but yet, Lord, in their heart of hearts, they feel angry. They feel bitter. They feel disappointed in you because you didn't show up in their life the way that you were supposed to according to how they've been living. And Lord, we pray that they equally would experience this reckless, extravagant love of yours that breaks down all of these formulas and barriers and it just simply invites us back into the relationship we were created for, a relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was reflecting and praying this morning and uh, thinking about what, how would I categorize these last 10 years of our corporate history, uh, I the word that came to mind for me was identity. It's been identity forming. It's been identity refining. And, and I think both things are necessary in the life of a corporate community and both things are necessary in the life of individuals. And, uh, and God wants to refine our identity and bring us back as sons and daughters. And often it's not easy and often it's messy. And if you're a younger son, it involves, you know, admitting how you've ran away and, and, you know, coming back in humility towards the father and experiencing the father's embrace. And if you're a younger son, it means confessing of these thoughts of self-righteousness and pride and moral behavior management and really the motives behind why we do that. Because if it comes from a place other than just a loving relationship with God, then it's this religious spirit that God actually wants you to do away with as an older son to come back to him and experience his father's heart for you. So I just want to pray to close. And then I got a couple of quick announcements and we'll be on our way. Now, Father, I thank you that you know what each of us need. Lord, I thank you that you know the journey that each of us are on. And I pray, Father, right now, through your spirit, that you would just show us which son is actually being reflective, reflected in the lives we're living. And Lord, I pray that we would, in humility, just confess that lostness to you, Lord, that without your love, we're lost. Without your love, we're lost. And we want more than anything, God, just to be in relationship with you, to be in the family of God, not because we want your stuff, Lord, but because we want you. We just want you. And Lord, we confess that as a community of faith and say, we don't just want your blessings, God. We, whether we have blessings or not, a building or not, or stuff or not, we just say we want you. That is our heart. And Lord, we want... We want to throw more parties, and we pray that uh, this next 10 years would just be defined by just hundreds of parties being thrown because dad are coming to life and lost are being found, and people are encountering the reckless love of God. Lord, would you stir our hearts? 
Would you create this generous heart in us that just wants to give away what you give us so that others can experience your love? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.